Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy. Today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. So when it comes to boosting your clinic's online visibility, reputation, and increasing referrals, NetHealth's digital marketing solutions has the tools you need to beat the competition. They know you want your clinic to get found, chosen, and get those five-star reviews on Google. NetHealth has a new offer. If you sign up and complete a marketing audit to learn how digital marketing solutions can help your clinic win, they will buy lunch for your office. If you're already using NetHealth Private Practice EMR, be sure to talk about its new integration. Head over to nethealth.com forward slash L-I-T-Z-Y to sign up for your complimentary marketing audit today. So make sure you do that. Now on to today's episode. I'm so happy to have on an amazing physiotherapist and a very good friend of mine, Dr. Osman Ahmed. He is a physiotherapist at the University Hospital's Dorset NHS Foundation Trust and a visiting senior lecturer at the University of Portsmouth in the United Kingdom. He trained as a physiotherapist at the University of Nottingham before undertaking his postgraduate diploma in sports physiotherapy and subsequently his PhD at the University of Otago, New Zealand. He is employed by the Football Association in England to work as a physiotherapist with their elite disability squads and has been a member of the Team GB medical staff at both the 2008 Beijing and 2016 Paralympic Games. He teaches on the FA's Advanced Trauma Medical Management course and has recently been appointed the Para Football Classification Lead at the FA. His PhD was focused on sports concussion and Facebook, and since then, he has both published and presented widely, primarily on concussion in sport and technology in healthcare. He holds several governance roles within para-sports federations, including medical and sports science director at the International Federation of Cerebral Palsy Football, medical unit co-lead at the Para Football Foundation, and medical committee member of the International Blind Sports Association. He is a co-chair of the Concussion and Para-Sport Group and a board member of the Concussion and Sport Group. Osman holds associate editor positions at the British Journal of Sports Medicine and at BMJ Open Sport and Exercise Medicine and sits on the Institutional Ethics Committee of World Rugby as an external member. He is also a scientific committee board member of the Isokinetic Football Medicine Conference. And when he is not doing all of those amazing things, he is also uh, attending conferences and speaking at conferences as well. So today... Uh, Osman is going to give us an overview of the highlights for him at the uh, 6th Annual International Olympic Committee Conference on Sports Injury and Illness, which took place in November, which seems like a million years ago in Monaco. Um, And so we talk, well, first we talk about the presentation that Osman and I did together, uh, wider implications of clinicians engaging with the media for patient benefit, and like I said, his personal highlights. So a lot of shout outs to some amazing presenters there. 
at the conference, um, including uh, a guest from the podcast a couple weeks ago, Dr. Cherie Becker. So everyone enjoy today's episode and don't forget to follow us on social media and follow Osmond as well. All the information is at the podcast website, podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. Hey, Osman, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you on and so happy to see you again. Hey, Karen. Thanks for having me. Really good to be back. Yes. And so uh, Osman and I both at the International Olympic Committee Conference in Monaco a couple of weeks ago, and we actually did a talk together. So for the first part of this interview, we'll talk a little bit about we spoke about what we spoke about and and then get into some of your big takeaways from the conference and then of course some of your upcoming projects papers and all that kind of fun stuff um but yeah it was great to present together it was um something i think that we've both been speaking about for a while in our respective areas about how clinicians can engage with mainstream media and social media for injury prevention and athlete welfare and just generally for spreading positive public health messages to our patients and clients um so how we did it for those of you that weren't in the room um we started off by looking at some different examples of how um the mainstream media discusses different injuries and issues and we took the lens of sport concussion because that's an area that i'm fairly familiar with and um i've got a bit of an interest in from a research perspective so i talked through some of the different examples of how concussion had been discussed in the mainstream media starting way way back with charlie chaplin hitting people over the heads um progressing through to um, the movie concussion more recently with will smith and also touching upon some south park episodes the office and new girl so other examples of concussion being in the mainstream media and we had um a bit of a brainstorming session really it was a nice interactive workshop that we did and to everybody that was in the room there, thank you for contributing so much. You made it a lot of fun and asked a lot of questions and stimulated a lot of discussion between the group. And yeah, I mean, it was quite a nice flowing dialogue between everybody there. And there were some really good examples that people in the crowd shared in terms of their experiences with either engaging in the mainstream media or seeing some negative examples and some um, less than perfect discussions and injury representations and um, illness and medical representations either in tv shows or in news reports and things like that so um yeah i mean the session was pretty good i thought i'm obviously very biased because i was one of the co-presenters but um yeah it was a fun session to be part of and then obviously from your angle karen it was really good to hear your thoughts in terms of how clinicians can engage with the media um coming up with some really practical tips for people that would be interested in doing that in terms of how to pitch to journalists um the sort of things that you should do when you're reaching out to journalists and some good examples of how clinicians have worked and engaged with journalists in order to get um positive evidence-based accurate scientifically valid information out to places like the washington post and new york times and um kind of upmarket newspapers in that regard so yeah it was a fun session to be part of and had some nice feedback afterwards which always made it worthwhile. And um, yeah, it was a a pleasure to be part of it, Karen. Yeah, I really enjoyed the discussion within the workshop from with the participants, because a lot of the workshops and, and we know we go to all these conferences, and it's usually the person up on stage speaking, and there's not a lot of interaction during the talk, except for maybe someone gets up and asks a question, they sit back down. But what I really loved is that, like you said, people were sharing their experience with maybe being in the media 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the nice thing about the topic that we discussed about is it's something that everybody's got an opinion on. I mean, um, arguably, you don't even need to be a clinician to have an opinion on how injuries represented in the mainstream media. But certainly I've sat in lots of workshops and conferences and sessions where I'm not particularly uh, au fait or um, knowledgeable about the area that's been speaking about. And I probably wouldn't feel that comfortable in terms of sticking my hand up and joining into a big discussion um, in front of lots of other people. But because it was a a mainstream topic about the mainstream media there was lots of um people that felt comfortable to do that so um yeah it was great from that regard yeah and i think it gave people some tools moving forward um to maybe reach out to a journalist or to n- maybe even reach out to say hey this article wasn't the best and do you think you can like i'd be happy to contribute to give you a little bit more evidence to that and and i think that's something that Instead of going on social media and complaining about an article or a video, instead, why don't we empower therapists and researchers with the tools they need to reach out to the journalist to say, hey, um, I appreciate you including physiotherapist, researcher XYZ, but what they shared is probably the not, not the most accurate or evidence-based. And I'd be happy to give you some resources or speak to you or write a, an, an article, a follow-up article. Absolutely. And I think we're completely on the same page here. I mean, it's so easy to read something that you disagree with, get angry about it, um, tell your mates about it at coffee time, and then uh, maybe share in a WhatsApp link to your friends and laugh at it. It's a little bit more challenging, but a lot more productive to actually reach out to those people And like you say, do something constructive, take control of the narrative, as we kept saying. So who is controlling the narrative? We can control the narrative. And that's a good way of controlling that narrative is by reaching out to those people um, and suggesting some of the things that you said there. So um, putting some evidence based links in, talking about proper scientific evidence, correcting in a nice, gentle way some of the um, inaccurate information that may have been shared in the article. They're all really, really good things to do, I think. So hopefully if um, people in the audience are doing that and anybody listening um, that's picking up between the lines of what we're saying here can do that as well. That would be great. Yeah. And and it's easy. It doesn't cost any money. It just costs a little bit of your time. And I mean, like a tiny bit of your time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, time is money to a lot of people working, especially if you work in private practice. I don't, but I'm sure a lot of people listening here will. Um, but yeah, it, well, it doesn't really take that long just to mm-hmm. drop a quick email or a note to a journalist um, to tee up some potentially better ways of reporting on what they've reported on and maybe serve as a link for any future articles. I think that's one thing that we both touched on that I think is a really nice way of um, sort of crossing that divide and bridging that gap is by getting in contact with a journalist or a newspaper and saying, look, I'm a clinician, I work locally. If you've got any pieces that you're putting out about a health-related issue or a medical condition, or if you want to check anything with me for accuracy, drop me a quick email, send me a quick text message or WhatsApp, and I'll get back to you about that. And then you're then in a position not to create content for the newspaper. You're not writing their articles. You're not a freelancer for them. Um, But what you are doing is kind of member checking and fact checking and steering the journalist towards more medically accurate, correct reporting. So yeah, I think that was a key take home for, uh, for me and hopefully for anybody listening today as well. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's a great take home from our talk. So from, and, and also a nice transition into what were your other big <laughs> takeaways and take homes from some of the other sessions you went to. So if you want to maybe describe the session 
And then mm. what your biggest take the session, the speakers and your biggest takeaways. Yeah. So the one that definitely made a big impact on me was the session on hashtag me too. Um, so it was about abuse in sport, um, obviously intentional abuse in sport. And that came at the topic from different angles. So Margot Mount Joy talked about the Larry Nassar case that I'm sure everybody listening will be familiar with, which is horrific. And I suppose because it's maybe slipped out of the media attention for a few months now, I wasn't completely familiar with a lot of the graphic and horrific details relating to it. So that was a real eye-opener again for me in terms of how endemic that was and how that could have been nipped in the bud at several stages earlier um, from the information that we were given there. And um, I think the other speakers in that session were fantastic as well. So Sheree Becker, I'm a big fan of Sheree's work. I went to most of her sessions at IOC in Monaco. And um, again, she helped deliver a fantastic session around um, the similar areas as well. Um, Yetsa Tuolaki, who um, is based at Yale in the US, did a really good session about um, Ghanaian Paralympians and the perceptions um, and abuse that they suffer as well back in the home country with regards to being um, disabled essentially and being an athlete and the barriers that they face and the challenges they overcome. And I thought one thing that was really nice from Yetsa's talk specifically was the fact that she um, samples of the video interviews and she wove those into her presentation. So you can actually hear and see the Paralympians talking about those things. So unfortunately, like you can't transport lots and lots of people to a, a conference to speak as part of your panel. Um, but yes, I did the next, next best thing, I think, in terms of getting the athlete voices literally embedded into a presentation. And that really did um, magnify and sort of hammer home the points in a really strong way. So for me, that's something that I've since gone back to some of the sporting federations I work with. So I'm involved with um, the IFCPF, which is the International Federation of Cerebral Palsy Football and Power Football Foundation. And um, I've spoken to both of those organisations about this and the resources that were provided in that talk were really helpful just to make sure that we're on top of all safeguarding issues in our sport. I think <laughs> for a lot of people listening, I mean, it might sound like quite a boring thing and quite a basic thing, but ultimately it's the most important thing I think we can do is to protect our athletes when they're in our sport and make sure that we've got the right policies, the right procedures, and the right steps in place to look after them. Um, because as the Larry Nassar case showed, I mean, the, the impacts of getting those sort of basic steps wrong or underestimating those sort of areas of sport are huge and can have profound and very long-lasting effects um, to the athletes involved. So, yeah, for me, that was, that was probably the session that um, had the biggest impact on me. Um, again, I'm... I'm qualitative in my research background so I was really pleased to be a part of the session with Ava Verhagen, Caroline Bolling and Christina Farker. Um, I thought all three did a really good job of talking about qualitative research and I think um, looking at other talks as well during the whole conference series there's a lot more awareness now I think that with athletes and with patients generally we don't just need numbers we don't just need um, hard cold uh, quantitative analysis which undoubtedly is very, very valuable in terms of what we're doing with our athletes and patients. We also need some context to that. And I do feel quite strongly that a lot of that context does come from qualitative research and listening to our players, listening to our athletes, um, getting that extra depth to their experiences to either layer on top of the quantitative data or to stand alone and just be 
independent data that we look at and say this data hasn't got numbers it's got words but these are the patient's words and these are what the patients and players think and we're going to look at that data we're going to analyze it and we're going to respect that data and we're going to act on that data um so alan mccall i was in alan's session as well and he's at arsenal football club and they do a lot of work there with readiness and um return to play and they collect a lot of data as part of that but it was really pleasing for me to see someone as high profile as alan um talking there about the importance of quantitative data and listening to players qualitative sorry um data and listening to players and getting that information as well so um yeah i mean i wouldn't call it a revolution in terms of qualitative research um in sports medicine i think it's a gradual evolution i think as we evolve and move through the 2020s as we are i think there's going to be a greater appreciation really of the power that qualitative research can bring and we're going to see a lot more of it hopefully there is this definite shift in thinking that hey if if we want to keep our players safe and healthy and reduce injuries then we have to listen to them and we have to incorporate this qualitative data into how we, as clinicians, because you and I are clinicians, how we work with our patients. You know, it, it, it's a little more than, oh, you just have to listen to them. Mm. Because I think you have to listen and you also have to understand what their words mean. Absolutely. And- um, yeah, listening, processing um, as well. So you're not just um, a set of ears, you've got something between your ears as well. Um, and that's the thing that you have to use to process it and then also act on it i mean it's not just a case of listening and processing you need to be some um actions off the back of that and change the results from that so um yeah completely agree yeah because like you said from the me too talk with Margot and sheree and um policies and procedures yes of course we need to have those in place but if you're not listening to your players you can have all the policy and procedures you want if the larry nassar case says mm. anything right they had a lot mm. of policies and procedures in place in usa gymnastics yeah but they weren't listening to the countless girls and women who are abused by this man over many many years because they did speak some of them did tell people i mean in an ideal world nobody should go to an international sports medicine conference and listen to a talk about that scale of abuse but i mean if if there is a positive about sitting in a session like that is that you can spread the word about it mm-hmm. um, and take action to make sure that never happens again in any sport ever. Um, exactly. It's an absolute abomination that happened there. Exactly. Exactly. One of my biggest takeaways from the whole event is that context is, is everything. If you're yeah. not taking, whether it's quantitative data, qualitative data, exercises, uh, application to the to into the clinic. If you're not looking at the context around the person in front of you, then I feel like it's all for naught. And the other thing, my other big takeaway is like I don't really know anything. So those are my two big takeaways. I think that's always a good thing. If you go to a conference and come away realizing how little you know, um, uh-huh. I think you've been to a good conference. Generally, I think there's always so many clever people that you listen to and learn from. Um, I went to a cardiology session as well, and I'm, I'm absolutely not a cardiology expert at all but you go into sessions like that and you, and you learn a little bit and um you hopefully take stuff back and you can apply some of it to your practice and uh yeah it's, it's good that you felt that way because i did as well oh, wasn't just me then yeah i left i Definitely was like not. oh i'm the worst how do i not know anything what am i doing in this job 
<laughs> it really spiraled down on the plane ride home. <laughs> yeah. So any junior clinicians or researchers listening, trust us. I mean, we're, we're old in the tooth, myself and Karen. So if we feel like this at our stage of our career, then don't ever worry that if you're a new grad and you don't know everything about everything, that there's something wrong with you because there really is not because you get to the end of your career and there's still a lot of things you don't know. Probably yeah. more things you don't know at the end of your career than you did at the start of the career. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely definitely a message I want to share. Anything else from the conference that was, you know, a big takeaway from any part of it? Um, for me, it was just how lovely and nice it was to actually see people face to face again. It had just been such a rubbish 18, 19 months leading up to that conference. It had been postponed two times. Um, yeah, it was just lovely to actually get to a place, see people. I do want to give a lot of thanks to the people that hosted the conference, but the organisation was next level in terms of how well run it was, um, how safe everybody felt. Everybody had masks on. I think we were talking about how good it was in terms of the COVID checks going into the venue, everything like that. So although there were, I think, seven, 800 people there, there's a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. It never felt unsafe and Mm-mm. everybody there was glad to be there. And I think everybody seems to have a good time. Yeah. And that's what Sheree and I spoke a couple of Sheree Becker and I spoke a couple of days ago. And we said, you know, the thing that was so great was that everyone there, it, it felt like people were there to support each other and to support sessions and support individuals. And, and maybe it's because there hasn't been like a, a, a larger conference like this in quite some time. But it did feel like very inclusive and supportive. And that's kind of the vibe I got. And Cherie said the same thing. It sounds like you might have felt the same. So maybe that an N of three is it's 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 true then. Well, like I say, I'm a qualitative researcher, so I'll take those <laughs> quotes and uh, and agree with those quotes. Yeah, I, th- I think it was just it was a nice, nice yeah. um, place to be. I think for a lot of people that that's the first time they've left their country since COVID, it certainly was for me. And me too. Um, yeah, I think it'd be nice if that's the um, that's the vibe going forwards. If we do go to conferences and we can support each other's research, and there's not academic snobbery or mm-hmm. anything like that. I, I, thankfully, I've, I've not really been to any conferences that have been like that, but. I'm aware that every now and again, there can be that um, element of needle to speeches and um, feedback and those sort of things. So hopefully yeah, it all stays uh, nice and constructive and supportive and all the yeah. other uh, positive adjectives. Agreed. Now, what do you have coming up? What do you have going on? Any pr- new projects in the pipeline papers? Um, if you can give us a preview, obviously you can't give it all away, but uh, if you can give us a preview as to what you're working on for 2022 and beyond. Oh, okay. Well, I wear a few different hats. So um, one of the hats that I wear is at the BJSM, the British Journal of Sports Medicine. Um, so I think it was announced on social media a little while ago that we're having the first BJSM Live, which is an in-person conference day that's being held in Brighton in the UK in May 2022. So we're quite excited at that. Um, I'm hosting that with... Uh, Fiona Wilson from mm-hmm. Ireland um, so it'd be really great to co-chair the day with her and that's certainly something I'm looking forward to. I am also off to um, the IFSPT so the International Federation of Sports Physical Therapy Conference in Denmark in August where I am presenting a session with yourself again Karen so it'd be great <laughs> to see you there um, and again that's following up on some of the BJSM work that I've done in terms of patient voices and athlete engagement so I'm really looking forward to that one as well. 
Um, a lot of 2021 was involved with the um, Concussion in Paris Sport Group that I'm a member of. So working with international colleagues that are involved in para sports and concussion. So we released our position statement last year and hopefully off the back of that, there's going to be a lot more um, studies that take place in 2022. So one of the co-authors, in fact, the lead author, uh, Dr. Richard Wheeler, who's um, very passionate about the area, he's currently doing a study looking at the perceptions of blind footballers towards concussion. Um, so he's done a lot of data collection from that. So I'll be working with him and the other co-authors on that paper in the new year, which is exciting. Um, and I'm also looking forward to working with uh, Dr. Mark Moroli in Australia, who's a uh, digital health physiotherapist. Um, that might be one of the best ways to describe him. He's very involved in the tech side of what we do as a profession in physiotherapy and physical therapy. And he's got a grant that's been accepted on physio digital health capabilities um, and a model related to that. So I'm going to be working with him looking at that and um, looking at the digital side of physiotherapy as well. So got um, plenty of things to keep me busy and yeah, I'm looking forward to hopefully a, uh, a better year than last year. Yes. Well, you certainly have a lot to, to keep you busy as well. And I should also say that you also work too. You're a clinician. Yeah. So my full-time day job is at um, University Hospitals Dorset on the south coast of England in Poole, mm-hmm. um, where I'm a full-time clinician. I also work part-time for the Football Association as a clinician with their um, elite para football squad, so that's disability football. And um, in the new year, I'm also going to be starting a part-time role there as the para classification lead for the um, elite disability football program. So looking after the classifications across all the um, elite para football squads. So I'm looking forward to that role as well. Nice. And and obviously you'll eat and sleep at some point in between. <laughs> If you ask my wife, there's a lot of eating and sleeping. That goes on. No danger Good. about me missing out on those two. Good. And a little bit of relaxing and a little bit of fun, right? Definitely. Always got time yeah. for fun. Excellent. Well, before we wrap things up, where can people find you if they want to join some of the things you're doing? They want to have more information. They just want to say hi. Where can they find you? Yep. So probably the easiest way to get hold of me is on Twitter. And my handle's Osman H. Ahmed. And I think you'll probably share the link in the mm-hmm. um, podcast. So that's probably the best way to find me. And I'm normally pretty responsive on there if people do want to get in touch. And certainly if you're interested in um, concussion in uh, disability sports um, or want to talk more about our work that we've done with um, the mainstream media and how we can engage with them, then I'd love to hear from you. Excellent. And yes, that will I will have that link at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com in the show notes in this under this episode. And finally, I think I've asked you this question before, but I'll ask it again, because maybe you have new advice, but what advice would you give to your younger self, knowing where you are now in your life and in your career? Don't take yourself too seriously. I think that's probably a key thing for any young clinicians. Certainly when I was working in university, there was a lot of people that were really stressed and anxious to make a mark in the profession. And obviously that is good and that's commendable and you want to keep that about you. But also I think, um, being relaxed in terms of the way that you do that and doing it in a collegiate way, I think is probably a really good way to progress your career. Um, I, I like to think I did that. So that that's less advice to me and more advice to other people. Um, I think probably the other thing as well is that your career is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, so you don't have to achieve all of your career goals by the age of 30. Um, space things out and don't be afraid to reinvent yourself. If you find you're in a career or a job that you're not massively enjoying it's a big profession out there. You're not wedded to one job for your career or your life. There's 
other places that your career can take you with the degree and the skills that you've got. Perfect. That is great advice. Well, Oz, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast again. I really appreciate it and look forward to seeing you again in person in August. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Karen. And everyone, thanks so much for listening today. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. A big thanks to Osman for coming on to the podcast and talking about the International Olympic Committee Conference and his big takeaways. And of course, thanks to Net Health. So again, when it comes to boosting your clinic's online visibility, reputation, and referrals, NetHealth's digital marketing solutions has the tools you need to beat the competition, get found, get chosen, get five-star reviews. Right now, they have a new offer. If you sign up and complete a marketing audit to learn how digital marketing solutions can help your clinic win, they'll buy lunch for your office. Head over to nethealth.com forward slash L-I-T-Z-Y to sign up today. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.